Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody feeling today? Man, it is so good to be here with you today. If this is your first time here at the Greenwood Auditorium or any of our other campuses, Banta, Greenwood, Garfield Park, or if you're a first time watching, uh, first time uh, viewing online, you've been invited by a friend, we want to say welcome. Can, can we give it up for all of our first time guests, first time viewers? So excited to be here with you today. I have the awesome privilege and opportunity of being the lead pastor here at Emmanuel. We've got a fantastic crew here that does an amazing job and an amazing uh, team of impact team members all across all of our campuses that serve to make all of these environments possible. And we have been planning and preparing for you. So welcome. Uh, my name is Danny, as I just mentioned, I think. And uh, we started a brand new series last week uh, called After God's Own Heart. And we began with a simple statement, and it's in your notes there, I, I believe, that everybody is seeking something. Everyone is always seeking. We are a seeking people. Many of you are here today seeking a word of encouragement, maybe a word of insight, something to give you a little bit of encouragement and hope to face the crazy times that we're in right now. Some of us are seeking uh, you know, to go off to college and start a new chapter in our lives. Some of us are seeking uh, romance. We'd love to have a partner in our life, uh, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or, 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 a, mar or a marriage partner, a spouse, or a, a wife, or a husband. And, and we're always seeking some. Some of us are seeking to have another baby or a first baby. Uh, we're, we're, we're seeking perhaps a better job or a different job or a job about that. Um, and so there's always something that's on our radar that we're trying to get to. For some of us, it's something a little bit more intangible, like, I don't know, happiness or peace. Or maybe it's just, uh, you know, they're seeking to overcome anxiety or seeking to overcome fear. You're just hoping to hear something today that maybe will help you kind of uh, just, just, just kind of live above some of the fear in your life. We're always seeking something. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, seek the kingdom, look for the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, we're gonna be seeking a lot of things in our life, but above seeking all of those things, you know, making more money or, 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 or expanding your business if you're an entrepreneur or whatever, before you seek anything else, I want you to seek the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply the place where God is moving and acting and desiring and willing to do things. There are three kingdoms in this world, okay? There is the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of Satan, and he roams around the earth and wreaks havoc all over the place. Then there's the kingdoms of humans. That's me and you. Lots of kingdoms going on there, but it's the human kingdom. And then there's this third kingdom called the kingdom of God. And these kingdoms are clashing and fighting and, you know, constantly overlapping. And, and, and Jesus says... I want you to live in this third kingdom. I don't, want to even, I don't want you to live in your own kingdom. I want you to repent of living in your own kingdom and step into my kingdom and live with me. And that's why he gave us this prayer. 
the, 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 the Lord's Prayer, which is not the Lord's Prayer, it's our prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth, right here, in my home, at work, you know, on the, on the, the road when people are cutting me off, you know, when I'm in line at the grocery store and, the, you know, people are not doing what they're supposed to do. May your kingdom come on earth as it is done in heaven. And it's when we live in this third kingdom that we actually find the life that we were designed to live. It's the best life on earth. There's no better deal. Cancel all your plans. There's no other option that is better than life in the kingdom. No amount of money, no amount of power, no amount of prestige or success can compare with life in the kingdom. He says, Jesus says, it's like finding treasure and going and selling all that you have so you can buy that treasure. You know, there's not many people living in the kingdom today. <clears throat> it's, it's difficult to, to, to find it and live in it. Most people are struggling. Most people are controlled by anxiety or, or debilitated by de fear or, or caught up in addiction of, an addiction of some sort, uh, greed or envy or hatred. And there, all you have to do is turn the news on, which by the way, that's why I don't watch it, okay? Because it's so discouraging. I encourage you to not watch the news, okay? Okay, just a little hint, Help. That's, that's worth, maybe that's all you get today. You'll change your life. Uh, but, but, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of people today living in the kingdom. Jesus said it like this one time in Matthew chapter seven, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many go that way, many go through it, many go down that path and that's what you see in your world today. Hatred, anger, you know, murder, rape, just racism, all, this, this, is, this, is, this is the easy path. You don't have to work hard to go down the wide path that leads to destruction. Many go down that path. Jesus offers a different path. Listen, he says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road. You might hear about it today in church, but you won't hear it on the news. You won't hear it about it in, at the office. You won't hear about it in the culture, but you'll hear about it today. Narrow is the way that leads to what? That leads to life. Now, this word life is not bios, physical life. It's Zoe. Now, a lot of people today name their little girls Zoe. Anybody have a Zoe in your class? Middle school students, high school students, Zoe, anybody? Nobody? Okay. I know several Zoes. Anyway, they're little girls, okay? And why do we name our little girls Zoe sometimes? Because it means life, spiritual life, life from above, eternal life. Narrow is the way that leads to this life. And guess what? Only a few find it. The question I posed to you last week is, will you be one of the few who seek the kingdom of God, who go down the narrow path and find eternal life and abundant life, rich and satisfying life, a life filled with joy, a pervasive sense of well-being rooted in the goodness of God, a life filled with peace, rest of soul rooted in the sovereignty of God, power to overcome temptation, and the ability to forgive those who hurt you or wound you. This is life the way Jesus intended it to be. Will you find it? If you decided to be that person, what would it look like? What would you do? Who would you follow? Are there any examples in the Bible to follow? Any people that we can model our lives after? And, after? and of course, there's Jesus, right? So last week, somebody gave me a, a Jesus coin. You have, have you heard of these? It's a gold-plated coin with Jesus' face on it. On the back of it, it's the, the, the Last Supper, and it's like having Jesus in your pocket. Get there. 
Jesus is a good example, right? We should follow his example. We should carry him in our pocket. That is fine. But he's kind, it's kind of a little difficult sometimes to follow Jesus because after all, he was God. He never messed up, never sinned, not once. So although we should follow Jesus and he's our role model and he's the one we should strive to be like and absolutely, you know, the vision of our church is to come to Christ and become like Christ, right? Is there anybody else that we can follow other than Jesus? And when we pick up this book, we find out that there is. There's a guy named David who was not God. He was totally human, just like you, just like me. And this is what the Bible says about David in Acts chapter 13. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A human being with the same kind of faults and the same kind of problems that you have and the same kind of difficulties that we all have, but yet he decided to seek the kingdom of God. He decided to become a man after God's own heart. Now, what is the heart? The heart is made up of a couple of things. The heart is synonymous with the word soul in the Bible, so you got heart. What are the parts of the soul? Mind, your thoughts, your thinking, your feelings, emotions, desires, cravings, and then your decisions. That's all the heart is. Thoughts, feelings, decisions. A person after God's own heart is a person who simply said, you know what, my thoughts are gonna be aligned with God's thoughts. My emotions are gonna be aligned with God's emotions. I'm gonna feel the way he feels. I'm gonna crave what he craves. I'm gonna think what he thinks. And then I'm gonna do what he would do in this given situation. David's inner being, his heart, was aligned with God's. Can you imagine getting to the end of your life and someone stands up at your funeral and says, you know what, my mom was a woman after God's heart. Wow. My dad had his soul aligned with God's. He made some mistakes, blah, 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 blah. But man, his heart was after God. Can you imagine what better words could be said at your funeral? My grandpa, oh. He sought the kingdom of God. His heart was the same as God's. My grandmother, oh, my grandmother was the godliest example I knew. Her heart was aligned with God's. Imagine that. Imagine showing up to heaven and God says, oh, you're finally here. Our hearts were synced the whole time. Well, I mean, he had a couple of bumps and bruises on the side. But, but man, most of the time we were, we were synced up. Imagine the opposite. You live your life as a child of God but your heart is not after God's. You, you decided to live in your own kingdom. You got, got, you got caught up in the kingdom of man and you die and you get to heaven and God says to you, and this is gonna happen for many people, my child, let me show you what might have been had you had a heart after mine. Let me show you what we could have done if you had decided to seek the kingdom. That moment's going to happen. How will it go for you? Well, we decide now. Are we going to heed Jesus' words? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and all of these things will be added unto you. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the few. How about you? Anybody out there today want to be one of the few? Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. Now, let's follow David's example. Last week we talked about that David was willing to obey and Saul was not. Let's talk this week about another aspect of what made David a man after God's own heart. In your notes there, David sought or cared more about pleasing God than pleasing people. He sought to please God more than people. In other words, God's opinion mattered more to David than people's opinion. Now, the guy that was ahead of David in terms of the, the, the leadership of Israel was a guy named Saul. We t- already talked about the fact that he disobeyed, and God had made a decision to remove him as king. 
But God didn't remove Saul right away. In fact, Saul remained king of Israel for many decades, four in fact. And, uh, and it, this wasn't, last week wasn't the only time that he disobeyed God. Remember, he was supposed to stay at Gilgal for seven days and wait for Samuel to get there, but he didn't wait, and then he offered the sacrifice, he disobeyed. Okay, that was last week. He also disobeyed, if you, that was chapter 13. If we fast forward to chapter 15, we see another example of when Saul disobeyed God for a different reason. Here's, the, here's kind of the setting, that, uh, that, uh, that, that the context of what was going on in 1 Samuel 15. When the children of Israel came up out of 400 years of slavery, okay, they were in slavery to the Egyptians, right, for 400 years. They went through the Red Sea, right? They marched through on dry ground. Then the Egyptians followed and God closed the Red Sea. That was called the what? That was called the, the Exodus, okay? We're, we're, some of us didn't go to Sunday school. That's okay. Let's do it one more time. Ready? It's called the Exodus. Great. Okay. So, uh, so they go. So they leave. They leave. Is they leave Egypt, and and that whole thing is great. And they're going into the Promised Land, right? And there was this evil group of people. Little tiny part of the story. This evil group of people called the Amalekites. They did not fear God. They were terrible. They were awful people. They were. They came behind the Israelites, and those stragglers in the whole camp. It's like a million plus people moving in one direction to the Promised Land. The families that couldn't keep up. The weak ones. The slow ones, the Amalekites were coming behind them. They were robbing them, stealing them, and killing them, and murdering them. Awful people, okay? They were just picking them off, ambushing the, and God is watching this, and he makes a note in Deuteronomy 25. It's like, one day we're going to settle accounts with the Amalekites, but not right now. And so Saul becomes king. They get the first king of Israel. God says, now is the time we're going to settle accounts with the Amalekites. Because back in those days, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, Jesus changed all that. But back in the Old Testament, it was tough stuff. Like, if you mess with God's people, you got taken out. Okay, so now it's time for the Amalekites to get wiped out. So God tells Saul, I want you to get an army, and I want you to wipe out the entire the entire group of people, all of the Amalekites, every man, every woman, every child, every animal, every sheep, every goat, every camel, every, every uh, uh, antelope, and oh, antelope, <laughs> not, they didn't have antelopes, every, what am I thinking of, uh, cow, that's what it is, moo, okay, so, cow, sheep, all that stuff, all of them, wipe them all out, so Saul gets an army, he goes to the Amalekites, and he starts to, you know, route them, and take them out, and all this stuff, but all of a sudden, he kind of decides that, uh, you know, man, some of these sheep are really nice, I mean, these, are, these cattle, these are top-of-the-line cattle, grade A, whatever, you know, whatever they are. And, you know, it, it might serve our purpose if we let the king stay alive, the king of the Amalekites. So they leave him alive. They leave the best of the sheep, best of the cattle. And, 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 but he, but he, he, kind of, he, take, he kind of obeys, but, but, but he just comes a little bit short of obedience, right? And so uh, after it's all over, Saul decides he's going to build a monument to himself and, uh, for this great work that he's done, and he obeyed God. Samuel shows up, the prophet. He says, uh, Saul says to him, hey, Samuel, I have obeyed the Lord, and I'm, I'm building a monument to myself. Can you imagine the narcissism? You know, you build a monument in your own image. Anyway, uh, so, so Samuel says, oh, yeah, you obeyed the Lord. And well, why do I hear, what's, what, I hear some sheep bleeding, and I hear some, you know, cows mooing, and what's going on with that? Oh, Saul says, well, you know, we just let some of the animals stay alive because we wanted to sacrifice them to God and all this stuff. And so they go back and forth a little bit. And finally, Samuel says, you know what? Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is like worshiping false idols. And Saul is cut to heart. Like he's, he just feels it. He, now he knows, okay, I have, I have screwed up. I have messed, I have sinned. And he confesses to Samuel. And Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, you're right. I give. I've disobeyed the instructions of the Lord's command. And then he tells Samuel why. Watch this. For I was afraid of the people 
and did what they demanded. See, evidently what had happened is the people were like, why are we killing all these wonderful animals? They're perfectly fine. This is like, we could have steak dinner for years. <laughs> Let's keep these cattle. Let's keep some of these sheep. Look, they're good for milk. And, and you're, you're just destroying them. And Saul wanted to please his people more than he wanted to please God. See, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Saul was the original <laughs> people pleaser. He was the OG, right? <laughs> he, was the, he was the first one to please, to, to seek to, okay, he wasn't the first one, but first one recorded in the Bible. He's like, I was afraid of the people, so I just did what they demanded. Now, many times, people-pleasing manifests itself in disobedience to God, but it also manifests itself in other ways. You might be thinking, well, I'm not a people-pleaser, I, I, I'm good. Oh, really? Do you have a difficult time saying no to people? Might be because you're a people pleaser. You just say yes because you don't want to displease them. Do you tend to over apologize? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you, do you apologize when it's not your fault? Probably because you're a people pleaser. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, you didn't do anything. <laughs> do you find yourself agreeing with people all the time even when you don't agree with them? It's like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I see that. <laughs> really? Do you agree with her? Well, no, I just, I, I was just, I just don't want to be, you know, awkward. People pleasers agree with the people around them. People pleasers actually take on the behavior of the people around them. So they're like chameleons. They act like if this group is doing a thing, they act, they start. Do you do that? Do you act certain ways with different groups? People pleasers always avoid conflict. They, they, would, they would rather get out of there. They don't want to be in conflict with anybody because you cannot, a people pleaser cannot have others angry at them. So they just avoid conflict at all costs. People pleasers need the praise of other people to feel good. Like they don't feel well unless others are praising them. Am, am, I, am I connecting with anybody here? People pleasers feel responsible for the happiness of others. Uh-oh. They feel like it's their responsibility that other people are happy. It doesn't always manifest itself in disobedience to God. It can, but we all struggle with this at some degree. See, here's what's true about you and me. We are all led by the dominant opinion in our life. This is what drives people pleasing. There's, there's opinions in our life. There's people, there's, there's coworkers, there's employers, there's husbands, there's wives, there's children, there's this, there's that, there's parents. And we are, we are led by the dominant opinion, the opinion that we want the approval of, the person we want the approval of. We are led by their opinion. Now, this is not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a thing thing, okay? Just, just a, it's just, in fact, it's a good thing if you're trying to parent children. Any parents out there, young kids, middle school, high school, even younger, maybe a little older? I know parenting doesn't stop after college, but it should, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's just another sermon for another day. But, uh, but, but this, this principle is so important for parenting, especially when you're the younger your kids are. Because we want our children, we, we want to have the dominating opinion in their heads, right? It, it, if we're going to get them to do what we want them to do or what we know they should do, they have to care most about what we think, mom and dad. Yes? Any parents out there? In fact, parenting gets all screwed up when our opinion becomes the second or third, right? Then, then it's like, then the house is out of control and the kids are, you know, running the, running the place and there's all kinds of problems. So we need, like God has wired us this way. 
to be led by the dominating opinion of our life. Now, the job of a parent, and this isn't a parenting talk, but let me just give you a little insight here. The job of a parent is to have that place in your kid's mind where your opinion matters most, that you can shape their behavior. But as they grow up, 15, 16, 17, 18, and they start to leave, there needs to be a transfer. Like, okay, you care about what mom and dad think, but now you you have to care about what God thinks. Because mom and dad aren't going with you to school. Mom and dad aren't going to you to your first apartment. Mom and dad aren't going with you to college, right? Like, so, so, you, so we're not going to be there, and you have to begin to shift from what we think to what God thinks when it, when concerning how you do, do friendship or money or sexuality or all these choices you're going to have to make by yourself. And if, and if the kids don't transfer from your opinion to God's opinion, here's what's going to happen. They're going to transfer from your opinion to their friend's opinion. And you all know your kids' friends are whack jobs. <laughs> and they got values that are in the gutter and, you know, who knows? I mean, it's all over. This is why King, King Solomon, David's son, wrote this. Listen to this in Proverbs 29. Fearing people like Saul. Saul wasn't afraid that his people were going to kill him. He was afraid of losing their favor. He was afraid of losing their approval. So when, the word, when you see the word fear, it's not, oh my gosh, you're gonna hurt me. It's, oh my gosh, you're not gonna like me. Oh, I need you to like me. That's what, the, that's what this means. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. Why is it a dangerous trap? Well, think about it. If you, if you give yourself over to the opinions of your colleagues, your friends, your classmates, your teammates, your whoever, and, and they are not godly people, and, and, and you need their approval, then you are going to end up doing things, saying things, wearing things, smoking things, drinking things, dating things, marrying things that you were never intended to marry or date or drink or wear or go. See what I mean? Like, because here, here's what's true. Again, here's what's true about you and me. We are led by the dominant opinion in our life. Who is that dom? Who holds that position in your life? If it's not God, it's going to be a person, a boss, a spouse, a friend. Now, that could be a good thing. You might have an amazing spouse. Mouse. Uh, you, might have, you might have an amazing boss who's godly and Christ-like, and you might have amazing friends who are godly and Christ-like, and so it may go well for you, but there's only one person who should have that position in your life. There's only one person whose opinion should matter most in your life, and that is God. See, in your notes, I wrote it like this. We live, we live under constant tension to put other people's opinions above God's opinion. And here's why. We fear rejection. We fear rejection. Human beings cannot stand being put on the outside You don't belong here. We just, we will do almost anything to not feel rejected. So in order to not feel rejected, then what do I have to do? Well, everybody's drinking, so I guess I'll drink. Well, everybody's going out after work, so I guess I'll go out. Well, everybody else is having sex, and he wants to have sex with me, she wants to have sex. I guess I better do that because I don't want to be rejected or labeled as weird or an outsider. This is huge for middle school students, middle school students, high school students. When it comes to language, everybody else is using the F word. Everybody else is saying cuss words. If I don't use the F word, which is such a dumb word. Isn't it a dumb word? Do you agree with me? It's such a dumb word. It's such a, it's such a horrible word. 
but it's used, it's used by Christians, it's used by people. It's an awful word, and so it's used by people who, are, who have more money than they could ever spend, and it's used by people who have, who have nothing. It's like, can you not expand your vocabulary a little bit? There's other words that you can use. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. Stay on track, Danny. Okay. But middle school students, this is a tough one. You, how come you don't curse? Well, I, you know, I, I, they feel tons of pressure just to not use foul language. And then, you know, change the situation and the principle stays the same. And it's not a middle school thing. It's not a high school thing. It's a, it's a people thing. We don't want to be rejected, so we give in and we end up doing things, saying things, eating things, drinking things, smoking things, injecting things that we were never intended to, to do. That's King Saul. And that's why God removed him, took him right out. David, on the other hand, was different. David was cut from a different cloth. Let me tell you a little story about David. David was a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. The story, the story rolls out like this. So Saul has been told by Samuel that David's gonna replace him. Like he knows. David has been told by Samuel that he's gonna replace Saul. So Saul develops this hatred for David and he thinks if he could just kill David, then he'll be remain king forever and then he'll pass the throne to his son and his grandson and on down. So he makes it the goal of his life to kill David. Well, he's chasing David with 3,000 elite troops of Israel, all from desert from, to desert, cave to cave. And so this, this big, long story in 1 Samuel, you can look at it in chapter 23, 24. Anyway, chapter 24, David is hiding in a cave with his men. He's got a bunch of men with him. They've, they've been loyal to him. And, and Saul's army is pressing in, and they're about to catch David. And all of a sudden, Saul has to go to the bathroom. Don't you love the Bible? I love that this, this proves its authenticity. Like, who would put that in the story? Now, we don't necessarily know if it's number one or number two, okay? But, but, but we do know is that Saul went into the cave, okay, which indicates that it was probably number two because number one, most guys would know you don't have to, you know, you could just, you know, it's not a big deal. Anyway, so, so, so I'm just gonna, little creative license here. He goes in to do number two into the cave. David is in the cave. He's hiding out. And, and you, you, have you ever gone from like a bright situation where the sun lights out into a dark room and you can't see anything because your eyes haven't adjusted? You know what I'm talking about? That's where Saul is at right now. So he's in there, it's black, he can't see anything. David and his men, they've been in the cave. Their eyes have adjusted so they can see Saul come in. And they see him pop a squat. He takes his trousers down. He's getting ready to, you know, he's going to relieve himself. And, and listen, this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. You've got to read it. And this is, what's, uh, so, uh, this is what David's men say, say to him in a, in a really quiet voice. Because remember, they're in a cave and you can hear everything. Now's your opportunity. They whispered. He's going number two. <laughs> and then they invoke, they invoke the Lord. They, 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 they claim to be a prophet. Today is the, is the day where the Lord, not us, the Lord is telling you, watch this. I will certainly put your enemy, Saul, into your power to do with as you wish. 
Now, you have to understand the context here. These guys have been on the run. They are hungry. They are dirty. They haven't had a shower in who knows how long. The only thing they can eat is what they kill with an arrow and burn over a fire. They're, they smell. They're, 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 they're being hunted like, like dogs from cave to cave to cave, days on end. If, if David would just grab his sword and stick it in the side of Saul, David would be promoted to the king and they would go up with him. They would live in a palace. They would have robes. They would have the best choice food in the land. They would have prestige. They would have power. They would have all the pleasures they could ever want. Just take your sword out and stick it in his side and you become the next king. Can you imagine the temptation? This is our moment. And instead of caving in to what his men wanted him to do, who had invoked the Lord's name, listen to what David says, verse six. He said to his men in a quiet voice, the Lord forbid that I should do this. Saul's right there, he still go to the bathroom. To my Lord the king, I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed, for the Lord himself has chosen him. And then David says this, And then it says this, so David restrained his men and would not let them kill Saul. Picture yourself. You are one of David's men. You are tired. You are thirsty. You are hungry. You stink. And David says, we're not doing it. This is not the moment. This is not God's will. We're going to stay here. We're going to stay on the run. We're not going to disobey the Lord. See, David was willing to disappoint his men rather than disappoint God. And that's what made him a a man after God's own heart. Who under the pressure of people would stay true to God. David was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. I hope you get this today. This could change your life. There's another guy in the New Testament who was cut from the same cloth. Many of you know who he was, the Apostle Paul. He was preaching a message of salvation by grace through faith alone, not by works of righteousness, not by keeping the law. Well, evidently, there was a group of Christians that said, no, it is faith, but you also have to obey the law, the Ten Commandments and all of the the laws in in the Torah. And if you do both of those, then God will accept you. And so Paul writes a letter to these Galatians. says, no, there's only one gospel. It's by faith. It's by grace through faith. It is not by works. And then Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would, be, I would not be able to be Christ's servant. What is he saying? My message is unpopular. It is by grace through faith, not by works. I know a lot of people are going to hear this message and they are going to disapprove. If pleasing people were my goal, I could not preach this simple message. But my, 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 my goal is not to please people. My goal is to please God. I care more about offending him than, than, than you. We live in a culture today that says there are many ways to heaven There are many truths out there, many paths, different religions. It is offensive in our culture today to say that Christ is the only way. And if pleasing people were my goal, I could not preach that message. But Jesus said it himself. I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes unto my Father except through me, John 14, 6. There is no other name given on earth among men whereby people can be saved. There is only reconciliation and redemption through Christ because he's the only one who died for the sins of humanity, which was why Christianity is the only way to God. That is not a popular message. That was Paul's dilemma. Good thing he wasn't a people pleaser. Do you agree? Can you imagine if I was a people pleaser? Pastoring this church, multiple campuses, and, and I struggled with pleasing people rather than God. I think I'd lose my mind because all of you have different opinions about how we should do this church. About music, about styles, about this ministry and that ministry. I'd lose my mind if I was like, well, we need to do that. Remember why we please people. Remember why we struggle. We struggle because we don't want to be rejected. Well, if I don't do this, they're going to leave the church. They're going to do this. They're going to stop giving. Many pastors do that, and they end up losing their mind, and they quit. This is why it's so critical for each one of us to say, God, I care more about pleasing you than about pleasing people. You say, okay, that's great. How do we do it? How do, we, how do I become that person, that man or that woman who, who has a heart after God, who seeks to please God rather than man? By the way, when I say that, I don't mean disrespect people's opinion. I respect your opinion. I listen to opinions all the time. We get feedback all the time, emails all the time. I respect it. I listen to it. But at the end of the day, the question is not... Should I do this because they want me to? It's God, what do you think? And that's the filter that we run things by. How do we get to that point? How do we do that? Here's how we do it, ready? We rest in the unconditional love of God, the unconditional acceptance of Jesus. We rest in it. We settle into it. What does that mean? Well, let me read you something real quick. This is powerful. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing a letter to the group of uh, Christians at Ephesus, which was a city. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, listen to these words. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Watch verse 6. It gave him great pleasure to adopt you and I into his family. Watch this. So, or therefore, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us whom, say it with me, belong to his dear son. Belong. What does it mean, belong to belong? It means that you're in. You're accepted. You're my child. A few moments ago, we sang a song, I am who you say I am. One of the lines in that song, the second song we sang is, in my father's house, there's a place for me. You know what that means? You belong. You don't have to fear rejection. You have a spot. You have a place. You're in the family. And all of the needs and desires that you were wired with and born with as a human being to be accepted and loved are met in Christ. Practically speaking, what does that mean? Let me give you an example, just for me, just for me, just for me, okay? I'm 17 years old. I've got a group of friends around me that are not that wise. I was probably the ringleader. I was not wise. I was getting into trouble. I was going down the wrong path. And I've told some stories about that. I can't share much because I would get other people in trouble <laughs> and embarrass my mom. 
but I was not headed down the right path. Well, I'll tell you one story. You want to hear one story? Just, just one real quick. This one's not too bad. This one's not too bad. So, so, so one day, my, my, uh, my cousin, who was also my best friend, sort of, um, he says, you know what? I heard that beef jerky covers the alcohol in your breath. And I was like, what? Because when I would come home, my mom would smell my breath, and I would try to cover it, and it was just, 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 I would, anyway. So we're like, we got to get some beef jerky. So how do we get it? You know, we didn't have much money, so he comes up with this idea. Let's just, uh, in New York, there's delis on every corner, like, you know, bagels and milk and stuff like that. You can walk to the store. Anyway, he says, let's just drive up to the deli. I'll run in and swipe the beef jerky off the counter and run out, and we'll just take off. I'm like, dude, that is such a great idea. (laughs) Man, how do you come up with these ideas? He said, you just, you be the getaway car, I'll run in and get it. So, so, so we did it. Man, we stole so much beef jerky. We had beef jerky for, for, for a long, long time and we would eat it right before we went to the house. And I don't, I couldn't Google it back then because we didn't have cell phones, but, but uh, I don't even know if it's true. You can Google it today. Um, but those were the ideas that were being thrown out there. And a lot of times I would say yes to these dumb ideas because I didn't want to be the guy that was weak. I didn't want to be the one that was, didn't have courage. I didn't want to be rejected by my friends. So I would pretend like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's go do it. You know? Well, then all of a sudden I get saved. I put my faith in Christ. And I've got these friends around me that I really, really value. And, 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 and their opinions were the ones that were shaping my life. And I'm, now I'm a Christ follower. And I come across this truth. That I belong that I'm a son. And all of those needs of acceptance were met in Christ. And so I was able to look at my friends and say to them, I'm not gonna do that stuff anymore. And of course, drinking was a big part of that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And at 17 years old, I don't even know where the courage came from. These are my buddies. And sure enough, they gave me the pushback and the rejection. Oh, you've been, you've been you know, indoctrinated. You've joined a cult. You'll be back in two weeks and all that stuff. And, you know, what's, it's a phase. And everybody goes through their religious phase. I'm like, no, it's really not. I don't think it's a phase. Like, I really do feel different. And I was able to say no. And that's what happens. Because the people in your life who held that dominant opinion, they don't hold it anymore. You are set free. We are free. We just got done singing that. We are free indeed in Christ because we are accepted in the beloved. How about you? How do we become a person who has a heart after God? We rest in the unconditional acceptance of Jesus and then we can go to the people around us and coworkers or boyfriends or girlfriends and say, I'm not doing that. Well, it's okay, you can reject me, you can think something different of me, but I'm not doing that because I'd rather disappoint you than disappoint God. Question I wanna leave you with today. From whom will you seek approval? From whom will you look to for acceptance? If you're gonna look to people, then they are gonna control your life. You're not gonna be able to say no because you need their approval. This is Saul. Or we can be like David and say, you know what? I'm gonna seek approval from God. And, in, and because we're able to do that, we can say no to our best buddies around us and even have them think that we're weak or, or that we've lost our mind or, or that we don't know what we're doing. And it's okay, it's okay. You guys can think that about me. But again, I'd rather disappoint you than disappoint God. I know I'm not supposed to kill the king. That's all I know. And it's okay. 
From whom will you seek approval? Now, as we wrap up today, I just want to talk to some of you today who don't yet belong. You're not yet in the family. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, here's what God has done. God has brought us to himself through Christ. And this pleased him. It gave him great pleasure to do so. So therefore, we are going to praise God for this glorious grace wherein he has made us belong in his dear son. He has made us accepted. Some of you are not yet accepted. Some of you are not yet part of the family. You haven't accepted that invitation to live in the kingdom and to walk in the kingdom and and to be part of God's family. Maybe today is the day that you do. Jesus would say to you, repent. He would say, repent, which simply means to turn around. Stop living in your own kingdom and step into my kingdom. I am the only one who has taken care of your sins. I have died on the cross for them. I have made it possible for you to be forgiven and cleansed. Will you receive that grace today? Will you receive that love today? If you'd like to do that, all you have to do is reach out in faith and say to God, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, and make me your child. If you'd like to do that, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. It's not the prayer itself, it's not the words, it's the faith behind the words. And if you feel a tugging on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you in. Take these words and make them your own. Will you pray with me? If you feel led to, reach out. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe you paid the debt that I owed and could not pay. And so right now, I choose to believe. I choose to trust you. I ask you to wash me of my sin, everything I've ever done that has offended you. Cleanse me. Breathe in me your spirit. Fill my heart. And help me from this day forward to seek to please you rather than people. To make it my goal to honor you with my life in every area. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you, don't we, church? Amen. We have a little gift for you if you trusted Christ today. We call it our saved box. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever reaches out to God in faith will be saved. Inside this box, there is a copy of a New Testament. There's some instructions on how to get connected to the church, baptism, small group, and there's also a mug in here, a little coffee mug to say congratulations. If you prayed that prayer and you'd like to have a box, text the word SAVED to 65248. uh, There's some uh, place for some information. We can mail this to you in the mail this week. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. Come on, nice and loud. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, before we pray, at the end of the day, it is a choice. It is a choice every single day. Who are we going to please? Are we going to please people or are we going to please God? And, and, and what makes it possible for us to please God is whether or not we are going to rest in the unconditional acceptance of Christ. I hope that you'll look to him for your approval. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the life of David the ups and downs, the good and the bad. Next week, we're gonna look at the mistakes that he made. Help us to follow in his example so that at the end of our lives, 
it might be said that we were people after your heart, that we were part of the few that went down the narrow path, that chose to please you rather than people, that chose to obey you rather than ourselves. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to all of our local teams. God bless you guys. Bring a friend, and I'll see you next week.